and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Bronwyn Reid, I am so excited to have you as a guest on She's the Boss Chat, so thank you so much for agreeing to it. It is my absolute pleasure, Jules. <laughs> Thank you. So what do we, like, why don't we start off with what you're doing now? Do you want to tell everybody what it is that you're doing and, and why you're doing it? Okay. At the moment, I'm a director of an environmental services company right. with my life partner, um, Ian, and we've had that one for 25 years. Wow. But through, yeah, I know. That's I know. Amazing. We passed the five-year barrier, okay? <laughs> you did. Um, <laughs> out of that, because we'd spent uh, those 25 years dealing with big companies, and I'm in international agribusiness research organisations, I'm in government, uh, BHPs, Rio Tintos. Um, so little those, companies that, yeah, that little just companies, have a few people companies. in them. <laughs> um, we've had a lot of experience of being the very small supplier to a very big organisation. Yeah. And that's not always an easy thing to do. So we won a couple of business awards and I found myself – kind of being asked to help some other people to negotiate the difficulties of actually taking that step and getting on as a supplier of these big organisations. Yeah. So in 2017, I wrote my first book, which is around here somewhere. It's called Small Company, Big Business, How to Get Your Small Business Ready to Do Business with Big Business. Wow. So that is what I do now. I'm still a director of the environmental company. It's still operating, still operating successfully. We've got about 12 employees. But this is my um, this is my other business. So I'm second book is just coming out. I do uh, on the same topic. Mentoring. Is, is no, the this new, What's the new book about? This one is called Small Company Big Crisis. Oh. And <laughs> this one grew out of a keynote that I did back in 2018. I actually started writing it in 2018. Right when. The mining industry collapsed. You may remember that about 2012. Yeah. Of course, a lot of our environmental company clients were those big mining companies. So, within a matter of weeks, right. we lost two thirds of our revenue. Just ah, uh, just bad. Scary stuff. <laughs> Which a lot yes. of people, having had this year, will know a little bit about. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so I was originally called the. Um, the keynote rabbit in the headlights because that's how you can feel when this mm -hmm. happens to you. You're frozen like like the rabbit in the headlights, just not knowing what to do. So that's when I started writing it. It's finished up being small company, big crisis, um, how to prepare for, respond to and recover from a business crisis. Well, Bronwyn, I just love what you're doing because there are so many small businesses that would love to tap into big business yeah. and don't know how to do yeah. it. I mean, I'm one of them, so I know what it. I, I, you know, it's a really, really useful topic to do. So, was there a light bulb moment? Was there something specific other than that keynote that you went, "Oh my God, I've got all this experience. I'm going to do it." Was there a particular company or a particular moment in time? Um, back prior to the first book. Um, yes, there was. I 
as I said, we I won a, a, a Women in Business Award. Congratulations. Back in 2013. That's yeah. a long time ago. Um, and then the same year we won a business award for the business. So, and other people were asking me stuff. So, I guess it just kind of dawned on me that, yeah, I've, I've had all this experience of, of dealing with these big giants and like for me to get to the point or for us to get to the point of being <laughs> successful supplier to BHP and Rio Tinto and all those, man, that cost me so much grief. It cost me so much time. It cost me so much money. Right. So I kind of thought, well, if my experience can help somebody else, well, why not do it? Yeah, and is there so, a company that you've helped that you can tell us the story of somebody who was trying to get in um, that you were able to help? Sorry to put you on the oh. spot because you can always say no. <laughs> Yeah, I've just got to be a little bit careful about confidentiality. Uh, yeah, no, here. don't tell me names or anything, but I'm just wondering if if there has been a company um, that was trying to get in that's, you know, earned a whole lot of money or managed to get right into a big company. Yeah, yeah, a small manufacturing company yeah. that I worked with um, had pretty much reached the end of their tether, actually. Um, the industry that they were serving had gone into a downturn. Right. So they were desperately wanting to get into the BHPs and the, the whatever, and, and rightly so. I mean, you know, it, for a small company to get BHP on your website, that's a, you know, that's a kudos. Yeah, yeah. It is huge. So we worked with them. We started off with a really simple website because they didn't even have that um, and went on from there, and that company is now supplying multi-million dollars to BHP and other mining companies. Oh, fantastic. That's the kind of story I love to hear about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so, awesome okay, people. Well, just like the loveliest people, you know. As in the manufacturing company or the BHP yeah, or yeah, both? Just, we can't have a short chat. Right. Like, we just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Let's go right back now to you finishing school or even before that if, if it's relevant and yeah, tell me how your career has unfolded and, and you know, what's influenced you and what you've learned along the way, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's a long time ago, Jules. <laughs> I know. I do this to everyone. They all go, oh, my God, no one's spoken to me about this before. It's weird, but I love no, the stories. Actually, my background actually is relevant, Jules, because I was brought up in, on a farm. On a Right. Um, my parents have agribusiness operations pretty much around where I live now. Um, Which so is where? Where are you? Where are you? I'm in Emerald in central Queensland. Right. So okay. I'm in uh, central, not, no, I'm not way out west, but the but way I describe it is that if you know where Rockhampton is, get yeah. to Rockhampton, turn left and drive for three hours and you'll get to me. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Way up there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I grew up on um, a farm. So, of course, my parents supplied as a small business to large agribusiness operations. So, if you think about it, I've been doing this stuff my whole life. You have? Yeah. Gosh. So, were uh, there, for, do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have a brother um, and he now runs the agribusiness operations. Oh, so. right. Oh, I love that. And he supplies his beef to Coles. So. Oh, wow. So <laughs> when you go had- to Coles and get yourself a steak, you may very well you be eating beef. my family's beef. Great. Well, I do go to Coles and buy steaks. So there you go. Well, All there right. you go. So, so you grew up with your brother on the farm. Yeah. Um, I actually grew up with two brothers. But unfortunately, one of my brothers was killed when he was 21, which just put him. Oh, it's always kind of shadow over all our lives. 
Yeah. And, and that becomes relevant a little bit later on when I okay. talk about the book. Um, went to boarding school, went to uni, uh, worked in Brizzy, worked in Doing Sydney. Um, all sorts of things. Um, finished so up what in did finance you, what did you qualify? What did you qualify for at uni? Oh, my first degree was a science degree, actually. First degree? And then, yeah. <laughs> then I discovered that I was never going to make a whole lot of money being a scientist in a lab, so that was a fairly short-lived career. I finished up in the finance industry and I'd actually met my now husband of 30 years and Whoa. one month. Congratulations. <laughs> first year at uni. Right. But took us a while. To, you know, we're a bit slow. It took us 13 years to actually get around to <laughs> get together. Getting back together again and getting married. So um, we lived in underdeveloped countries for a bit oh. over a decade. With like which, what yep. sort of countries? So uh, I started off in Solomon Islands. Wow. Was that amazing? Uh, yeah. It was the best best period of my life. Oh, really? Honestly. I thought when you went, yeah. oh, I thought you were going to go, oh, no, it was awful. No. But no, it was no, amazing. No, no, no. I mean, I, you know, I did like, I lived on the beach. Um, <laughs> and I was truly married to my beautiful husband, you know, what's not yeah. to like. Heaven. Um, and I where else have you lived? At, I started oh, cool. teaching at the uni there. Yeah. Then after that, we went to England, which is another underdeveloped country. <laughs> um, yes. Where did you live in England? We lived in Wimbledon, actually. Oh, lovely. Yeah. We had a had a lovely time. Yeah, we did uh, save no money at all, of course, in, in that year. No. Know. Did you um, meet any wombles? I, no, silly. No. <laughs> Sorry, no, I didn't I'm meet just any wombles. <laughs> And so, um, why, can I just ask, why were you travelling as well? Was it what was this with your husband's business? Yeah, he he at the time was working for a British development bank. Okay, that funded and managed oh, agricultural okay. product projects throughout the world. How exciting for a country girl mm. to end up living in this oh, country. So where else did you go other than um, England and the Solomon Islands? Uh, uh, well, while we were living in England. Yeah. Um, Ian was travelling in and out to Africa the whole time and we finished up getting a posting to Swaziland. Wow, this is which amazing. Which is now called Eswatini. Right. So we spent some years there. That's where our first child was born, our beautiful daughter, was right. born in South Africa. Just Fantastic. The Swaziland. Sounds so exotic. It was. It, <laughs> <laughs> a bit it, of a shock to the was. system. Yeah, it was. No, it's actually it's actually a lot more um, civilized in terms of supermarkets and that sort of right. thing than um, than Solomon's. But oh, I, I loved Solomon's. The night before we had to leave to come back to, um, well, we came back to Australia and then went on to England. I sat on a log on the beach just in front of my house and I cried my eyes out. Like how? Oh, Have you been and back I thought, since? Uh, I, yeah, um, I haven't, but Ian's been back several times for work. Right. Um, of course, this was all before the Civil War there, so right. you know, we had this idyllic existence. So. And I thought to myself that night, now I know how the convicts felt, except they were going the other way. <laughs> oh, it's so sad when you have such a beautiful time in a country and you have to leave. I know, but you've got to move on, hey? You can't, yeah. you can't, yeah. you can't stay. Okay, so, so what then we're in Swaziland. Swaziland, yeah. Um, for a while then, unfortunately, towards the end of that, we got caught up in some nasty stuff. What happened? 
Um, there was uh, the. This was all during the time of Nelson Mandela being elected, right? Um, and there was some unrest in Swaziland because Swaziland was and still is an absolute monarchy, right? So there was a move to um, democratize, <laughs> right? So that was sort a, of overthrow the king. Well, destabilize. I mean, the and the best way to do to destabilize a government is economic disruption. So, right. um, where we were living was on a plantation in the southern part of the country. Was also that just happens to be the king's homeland. So there was there was some riots and you know, some scary. Was it quite scary? Were actually kidnapped. Oh God, and, and stuff. So. I'll write all about this one day. Yes, you'll have to. Maybe, so, maybe you go. Maybe you go to the Solomon Islands to write your book. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's, <laughs> now there's a good call. So, um, my one-year-old baby girl and I had to run away to Durban for a while and basically hide. Right. And yeah, then eventually, you know, I could go home. And I, I said to Ian, my husband, well. I'm going home. I'm going home to my mum. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take my baby girl and go home to my mum. <laughs> and were so. you very worried about leaving him behind with all this unrest? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Still right, get little so- heart palpitations when I talk about yeah, it. Yeah, no, it sounds like it was really scary. Yeah. So it, um, how, it how long afterwards did he follow you back? Um, it was about eight months, I think. Oh, a long time. That back, would have been a yeah. very long eight months. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was. A, it was just a horrible time. I actually lost a pregnancy during that year, and I finished. Oh up God, everything. Care, just, it was just a really yuck time. Shit. Anyway, yeah. so, December, so moving on. <laughs> December twenty second, nineteen ninety six. We arrived back in Australia. Great. Stay. We had no job. We had no home, and because we'd lived in company houses all those years, we didn't even have a tea towel or an ironing board or a. <laughs> Yeah. So that first Christmas we came back, all my family were giving me tea towels and irons for, <laughs> for electric kettles for Christmas. So uh, my parents happened to have a um, another farm here, um, sort of only about 11, 12 kilometres away from where I sit now. Right. So we became farmers for a couple of years to okay. just settle ourselves down a bit. And, yeah, and while we Keep were – the wolf from the door? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, I just we just needed a bit of time out, really. Yes, yeah, I'm sure. Um, I mean, the, yeah, traumatic. So, so what, and what did we were that doing lead that, to? We started the business. Okay. We started the environmental business. And what yeah. made you think about getting into the environmental side of things? Well, Ian's background was agronomy. Right. What's so agronomy? We didn't really- uh, how to grow start. plants, Jules, how okay. to grow plants. <laughs> right, right. It's just a, a, a stream of agriculture, is it? Yes, yes. Right. That's right. So uh, our very first contract was we got a contract with an international agribusiness um, research organisation to write some manuals about best management practices in farming. Okay. So we started off with sort of environmental best management practice in farming. And then, as you know, the mining industry gradually grew and grew and grew and grew. So we finished up doing pretty much the same sort of stuff, but for mining companies. 
Right, um, so you're putting together their sort of best practice manuals. Well, that plus we actually go on site and do their monitoring to make sure that they are um, complying with all their Oh, right, okay. So we go on and do the water testing and the – we don't do animals and we don't do plants, but we do do soil, water, air, groundwater. Right, what a fascinating it's, business to be in and also is, sort of amazing is. because environmentalism wasn't quite so in everyone's face back then really, was it? No. So you were sort of pioneers. No. Yeah, so Ian and uh, Ian and his um, – two of his co-workers, my husband's actually written – nine books oh, right. um, um, about that, you know, yeah. agricultural best practice. So he and his mates were about 25 years ahead of <laughs> about ahead of the game. Ahead of the curve, yes. Yeah, ahead of the curve. So, yeah, so that's what we did. Our little business has grown. We got smacked during the mining downturn. Right. How long um, did that last? I, I sort of heard about uh, it sort of in the background, but it wasn't central to my life, so I didn't really. It, the, the tale was about 10 years, Jules. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. And then there was a big ha- mining boom, wasn't there? Well, the mining boom came. Yeah. Then it was a, it was madness. And this is all relevant for the new book too because I yeah. talk about booms and busts. Yeah. And how they always happen. And the next one will be along soon. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, it took us several years to to get back to where we were. And then uh, we are, start, we are yeah, back there now. Great. And then you started applying for awards, did you, or did someone nominate you? How did the award come well, about? Well, we were nominated then? for the first one, yeah. Wow. Um, and then I thought, this is good. This is great marketing stuff. Well, I was going to say because we that we have a woman in the She's the Boss group that specialises in helping women get grants and awards, sorry, and one of the things that people often say to her is, is there any point? And the more women I'm interviewing that have won awards, the more they're saying, oh, my God, it opened up everything for me. So I'm interested to know what it did for you, you know, in Outback Queensland as somebody who's won a business award. Was it a Telstra business award? No, it wasn't. It was a um, – it's an organisation called the Queensland Rural, Regional and Remote Women's Network. Right. Which obviously is right up my alley. Yeah. And um, they had started these Strong Women Leadership Awards because leadership is such a big thing in rural and regional Australia. Why? But so many women don't see themselves as leaders. Oh, Why is it I'm such just, a big thing? Uh, yeah. Well, to, to encourage people to ex- – to, Stand to up. acknowledge themselves as community leaders. Right. But yeah. I also say too that if you are one of those silent leaders in the background doing what they do, and look, these women do amazing things, seriously, I tell them that they have a responsibility to apply to for those forward. awards and put themselves out in front because if they really believe in their cause and what it is that they're advocating for, they should be doing every single thing they can. Yes. And to also to, yeah. and to realise it's not about them. It's not about putting themselves forward oh. so much oh. as making building awareness around what they're doing, which is what yeah. most of them would be happy to promote. They just yes. think, I don't want to do it as, as me. I'm not the special person. And yeah. you go, you are. It wouldn't happen without you. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a leader. <laughs> well, yes, you are. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So you so you won the awards and you decided that you'd write the book. Was that the first step or did you go into consulting? Um, 
I did. I, I went into consulting first, but I, I guess I it was pretty ad hoc, Jules. I'd sort of, you know, somebody would ring me up and I'd help them. Right. <laughs> That's, you know, didn't change And so what, what was the moment that you went, hang on, actually I could earn money out of this? Um, I'm not sure when it actually happened, but there was a moment. I'm not sure of the day. Or- no, that's all right. You don't but have to give just- the date. I thought, <laughs> you know what? I can actually help people with this stuff. I can really help people, um, you know, mostly not make the mistakes that I made, yeah. waste the time and the money that I wasted trying to learn. So, so which, which then begs the question, what are the common mistakes that people do? Is that a small question? I've got no idea um, whether you can answer that in, you know, the next five minutes or so. But it, the are there bit, sort of really common things that people do wrong? Uh, the, not so much do wrong, but when I started researching the book and, and helping people, I realised that this this the big company and the small company in the relationship have exactly the same problems, but they're just seeing them from two different perspectives. It's exactly right. the same issue. So the big business says, our oh, small businesses, they haven't got enough, um, you know, they're not reliable enough. You know, they haven't got good systems to to, to be able to manage you know, a big to, company. Yeah, to management. So, but the small company is saying, oh, but it's too complex. You know, the requirements you put on us are too complex and it just costs too much and it's too much time. So I just, that, that was a moment of realization for me that these two people are talking about exactly the same things, it's, but it's like one speaking French and one speaking Swahili. They, they just can't talk to each other. Right. Right. So that was and, one and revelation. And does big business want to work with small business in your opinion? Yes, they do. Why? Um, what do we have that's attractive for them? Uh, okay, so I'm going to start with the. Um, I'm going to start with the positives. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because we are inventive, we are agile, and yep. I, I always use the, the saying so that for our clients, the same one of our environmental clients, I have an environmental incident, yep. so someone's got to go to site and deal with it. By the time one of our big competitors in Brisbane or Sydney or Melbourne has found somebody who can go, gone to the HR department and got a, a you know, a permission to buy an air ticket and right. then procured some equipment and mobilised the site, we'd been there, fixed the problem, come home again and had a cup of coffee. Right. So it's the speed with which you can with which you can deal with things yeah. and the lack of complexity, I guess. Yeah, and the lack of complexity. You know, um, you obviously in a in a company are small. You're only dealing with you know, uh, you're either dealing with the directors, you're dealing with the operations manager, or you're dealing with the scientists directly. Yeah, that's it. You know, right. And you know, for our good clients, we'll go out on a Sunday, and you know, we've been up in helicopters taking water samples when there's floods and. Yeah, so that's that's the big thing. Yeah. Um, so many small companies have invented new and clever equipment. ways of doing things. Yeah, yeah, clever ways of doing things. The not so positive way is that they have to, right? To oh, really? Fulfill their, to fulfil their corporate social responsibility obligations. Oh. And oh, sometimes well, legal to obligations too. You know, they'll 
you know, big mandates of 20% local content or something like that. Oh, there you go. There's some gold there for for anyone who's listening to, uh, you know, maybe bite the bullet and try going to a really big company. Absolutely. Yeah, you can. But there is a high bar. I mean, so, so what companies- sort of things do people need to think about? I mean, I know there's okay. sort of that public liability insurance and things like that, but are there even bigger sort of hurdles yeah. to overcome? Yeah. And you know what? The first one's mindset. Right. These beasts are different to to people that you've dealt with before. (laughs) They act differently. They think differently. Um, Their practices are different. So you've got to make sure that your mindset is right. And what kind of work do you need to have in your mindset? What do you need to do? You need to you need to understand that you are. Sorry, I shouldn't be pointing my finger. That's true. No, it's all right. <laughs> um, you need to understand that you are just a link in a supply chain. Right. Like you're just one link in a really. You know, I talked about my brother's cattle and you getting the steak. If a small company somewhere along that line breaks, you know, my brother can't sell the cattle and you can't get a steak. Right. So big companies are very aware of risk in their supply chains. So they will examine your financial entrails. Right. (laughs) They will ask you what you had for breakfast three weeks ago last Sunday. Um, Okay, so they're really going to dig down and make sure that you're not going to break. Dig down into you, make sure you're not going to break. They're going to want to examine your safety. You're going Mm -hmm. to have to have a really rock-solid safety system. Uh, you're going to have to re- have a really good quality system to make sure that you can deliver in full on time every time with quality. Right. Um, they don't like it. I mean, they, they can't tolerate it if, you know, my brother delivers really, really, really good rump steak one week and then the next week he delivers them really crap. And said, steak. sorry, we had bad yeah. cows that week. Yeah, sorry, we had bad cows this week. You know, right. That's Just not going to work. Um, environmental management systems. They're very aware of their environmental responsibilities and that tracks right back through the supply chain. Um, Contracts, they're going to give you contracts that are sometimes written in Martian. Um, uh, They generally pay badly. That's not true. That's unfair. They pay well, but they take forever to pay you. Isn't that the thing with big companies? So you might be looking at three months before you get paid. Correct. Even though you can probably charge a bit more than you could to a smaller company. Well, yes and no. That that you maybe I shouldn't have said that out loud. (laughs) Yeah. Swings and roundabouts, and they will screw you on price. Um, You know, you and I talk about value in our relationships with our clients that's a really hard conversation to have with a really big company right they've got entire small yeah it's price right just give me your lowest price i used to have this guy from one particular company every so the tender would close at friday afternoon at about quarter past five on friday afternoon he'd phone me and ask me for my best price (laughs) right God, isn't that amazing? And it's just and so funny. Isn't that ironic? Value and innovation and, you know, relationships. That was all out the window. Yeah, right. Um, what else? They, um, you need to, they need to be able to find you. You know, so many small businesses, 60% of small businesses don't even have a website. Yeah. That's shocking. That's just shock. Is that really that stat true? 
That was Telstra uh, maybe a year ago, some research Telstra did. Wow, 60% don't have yeah. a website. I find that extraordinary. Yeah. So um, you need to have, you know, good transparency on your financials so that you understand your costs. If you're quoting, you know, you yeah. need to know exactly what your cost base is. So, yes, it's very different to supplying to, you know, Joe Blogs down the road. Yeah, yeah. So has its peaks, has, has its um, benefits and also has its drawbacks by the sounds of Absolutely. it. So it really depends 100%. what you want to do with your business. Yep. And if you want massive volume, then you probably are right to go to a bigger company, but you're going to have to jump through a lot of hoops in order to be able to um, get in. And once you're in, I guess, is it like government? Once you're in, you're in, really? <laughs> you know, you, you're going to be in for the long haul unless something goes wrong or – is it more um, transient than that? Until I find a that? cheaper provider. <laughs> right. Oh, really? Right, down. just that. Yeah. Just keep your price yeah. super low. Well, no, 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 that is that is not true. They um, At times it is true. And certainly during the uh, during the mining downturn, that was just, yeah, just lowest price. Everywhere. And, of course, you know, that has the inevitable consequences. And the number of times that we lost contracts and then won them back because the person who came in at a low price right under us simply couldn't deliver. Right. Um, but <laughs> nice it's a hard, it's a hard one at at the moment. Okay, so if you've worked in agri agri, what did you call it? Agri agri business. <laughs> agri business. Sorry, um, and you've been writing books along the way. You've been in a lot of male dominated kind of industries and doing things with a lot of blokes. Have there been any women that you can think of that have really helped you in your business life, in your life? And if so, how did they help you? I, I, I'd be reluctant to pick out any one, but certainly I have a whole group of women mentors and, well, they're, they're more than friends. They're um, – Colleagues I, and I advisors. My best friend um, yeah. is – we started boarding school the same day, you know. We've, right. we've shared almost our entire lives. Uh, she's not a scientist. She's not a book writer. Well, actually, she is a scientist, uh, but she's she's my you know she's my rock. She's the one that um, you know props you up on bad props days. Props me up. When, <laughs> um, then I have you know people like you who who cheer me up. I have people like um, uh, Bev Ryan. You may know Bev Ryan. I do know Bev very yeah, well. You know, yeah, um, she's a Susan book coach for anyone listening. Yes, yes, um, yeah. So I can't I can't point out anyone. No, sometimes with some women there's been, you know, their first boss or something has just changed their lives by opening things up. So I always like to ask just because yeah. we're all about women here. So I like to sort of do shout-outs if, if possible or if there is someone. So what about um, during the course of your 20 to 30-year business and also with the book writing, have there been some pivotal moments where – Obviously, and we'll say mining um, crash aside because you've told me a little bit about that, but have there been moments in your business where something has gone wrong or, or you think that it's been a big challenge and yet you look back on it and go, it was a bit of a blessing in disguise because it made us do something differently. Have you had any of those kind of experiences? Yeah. Um, I, I guess the biggest one of those was the fact that we got caught up in those, um, you know, the, the nasty stuff in South Africa because if that hadn't happened, um, we could possibly have stayed with Ian's career, you know, 
Right. Yes. Living as expats around the world. So that's a massive change. So as it was, we came home and became brought up our kids as two little Aussies. And, has, and really, has, so the environment, environmental business has been quite smooth sailing. There haven't been any challenges or because for a lot of businesses it doesn't kind of go like that. It goes like that because something happens a lot, like you know. Have there been, you, yeah, go on. I'll tell you why. Because, um, and again, this goes to the, the second book, um, at, like our business was based in agriculture. Agriculture goes up and down. Right. Like it it really goes up and down. So um, we were at a point in our you know, in the early stages of our business where we were doing really well, we were growing rapidly. We had a couple of really good government contracts on re- to do research and um, then things started to go down. So and it was when that started to go down that we started picking up mining work. Right. Um, and then we were picking up um, – uh, work in the oil and gas sector. Yeah. And then so it's it's just been this constant, Flux you know, oh, okay, different. this one's up, so we'll go there, and this yeah, one's up, okay. so we'll go there. <laughs> right. And yeah. is there a boom in something at the moment that you're – or an area that you're particularly working in, or is that Agri mining? business is uh, – is, I wouldn't say booming, but there's really exciting times ahead for agribusiness. Oh, good. Oh, that's um, great it, to hear. Even with um, like with my small company, big business stuff, I'm involved in a lot of um, ag tech um, innovation stuff, uh, attracting people to regional areas. There's some really exciting stuff happening. Oh, fantastic. Really? I know I did a little bit of work with Rocket Cedar, which is, I don't know if you've heard of them, but agribusiness, agritech startup advisors. And I've done a whole lot of um, teaching people about PR and how to get their message out there. And I didn't even know it existed before, but you're, what I've seen anyway, and I've probably only seen very small scale things, were, were really exciting. You know, being able to grow your herbs in your kitchen in some you know, machine that kind of, you know, feeds them all and lights them all and does all the right things. And I'm sure what you're doing is on a much bigger scale. But um, that's great to hear because, we're, you know, we I think everyone really wants to support the farmers. We know we can't do without them, but it's hard to know how to support them, how to highlight it. So um, it's yeah, good to hear this kind of stuff. That's a very interesting point, Jules. Um, there's a couple of couple of angles here. I've just been uh, did some writing stuff yesterday. Um, we're talking about regional ag tech and yeah. regional and entrepreneurism and entrepreneurialism and you know regional innovation incubators. Regional to most people means coast. Oh, really? I always think yeah. regional means away no. from the coast. No, no, no. I, I right. did some just, research. So Queensland did a um, you know developing regional business hubs grants a little while ago. Yeah. Of all of them, only – well, Toowoomba was in there, but it's only an hour and a half from Brisbane, so that doesn't yeah. count. The only other place was Mount Isa. Everything else was uh, Gold Coast, Cairns, Ipswich, Yapoon, Sanford, Wow. Twanton. But yet so much of the country is not on the coast. That, that amazes me. I would have thought that they'd be Tell pumping money it. into yeah, pumping money into the sort of inland areas because you're the ones who are more isolated, I guess, than anyone else. The Queensland uh, Small Business Minister, and I've written to her, um, 
is doing a regional roadshow at the moment. Yeah. Again, it's all on the coast. the coast. Oh, yeah. my giddy up. Wow. I am really shocked by that. That's um, that's really interesting to learn. I, I would have thought that, yeah, that they'd be thinking inland all the way. Certainly in Victoria they're talking Ballarat and Bendigo and places that are – Yes, Ballarat and Bendigo are uh, – I mean, I know we're a smaller uh, state. Uh, Dubbo is another one. That, yes. So there, there are centres. But you know, still the majority of the attention and the money goes to goes people's to- – uh, capital cities and those, um, you know, the Wollongong. Right. Um, even Toowoomba, it's an hour and a half from Brisbane, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast. Oh, Sunshine Coast isn't regional. No, it isn't <laughs> regional at all. It's a big city. <laughs> yeah, well, it's certainly, and it has massive tourism. So, you know, yeah. it's not struggling in the same way as uh, yeah. places where people don't sort of pass through. So right. join, my, oh, yeah. join my call to get more attention on innovation in regional areas. I just Can I just follow up there one thing? Yes, I'll, I'll send, anything. I can send you a copy of this. I wrote a, um, a blog post which actually did quite well and it's about changing perceptions of regional Australia. Right. I went to a uh, seminar thingy in Sydney 2019 um, and because I was pitching. Yep. Pitching everywhere, and because of the nature of the event, I was doing my regional stop, my regional pitch. Yeah, and uh, somebody said to me, "Oh, it's really important that we um, support the bush." And I, we're not all bush, no, <laughs> and we're not all standing out here asking our handouts. No, you know? <laughs> but but I think it's just we need more awareness and al- allow more people in regional, as in inland places, to shine, to, to bring them forward. And, mm. and certainly one of the women I've interviewed was Rural Woman of the Year, Sarah Prime, who's tri- mm. she's in, but again, she's on the coast. She's When I think about it, she's on the coast down in South Australia. But mm. she's trying to rejuvenate or revitalise towns with a place called, the, with a business called the Champions Academy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I guess the more I'm talking to women doing incredible things in all sorts of areas, although as I'm thinking about it, a lot of them are on the coast. Yeah. Um, it is, it, yeah, I mean, you know, we just need to shine the light on these kind of businesses, mm. you know, more mm. and more so. There's a, a, a lovely lady um, that I, I call her the world's greatest optimist. Her name's right. Julie Brown. Yeah. And she comes from you know, inland. I think, I can't, if I say Ilfracombe, I may be wrong, but she certainly comes from a cattle and, and sheep property right. like way west of here. Uh, they were completely drought-stricken. They were going to the coast for a holiday with the kids and they couldn't find any sun-safe swim gear. Oh, so, so she started up Cooler Cozzies. Now, tell me this is woman isn't an optimist. She's on a drought-stricken property <laughs> in far western Queensland. She starts up a bloody swimwear company. I love it. <laughs> and it's fantastic. Cooler Cozzies now sells everywhere. All around the country. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's brilliant. There are, so there are more and more women that I'm I'm hearing about that are doing kind of extraordinary things like that. There's another woman called Rebel Black who runs the Rural Woman. Do you know that one? Yes, I do. And she's yeah. up in Lightning Ridge. 
So, yeah, that you're all over the place and you're all amazing. So, you know, whatever I can do to interview you all and, and get the message out, I will. So now talk to me a little bit about being a mum and a wife and running basically two businesses. Um, how do you juggle time out? Is it Does it all sort of blend into each other or do you set rules and you go, yeah. no, like at 6 o'clock I finish work, on weekends no. I don't work, or is it no? No, no. <laughs> Especially when the kids were little because both our children went to boarding school. Right. So once they went to boarding school, things eased up a bit. But honestly, those years when we literally were starting a business and having – and I only had two kids. Heavens above, people have a lot more kids than I did. But, you know, you're driving uptown and I turned to go – to tennis and they could say, no, mum, it's music lessons today. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, okay. Yeah, and, of course, you don't have um, the infrastructure and support in the same way for, for kids out there. So you really are doing all of it yourselves. It's probably harder to delineate yeah. anyway. I'd actually, I, I would actually argue that it's easier. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, and, but given that no, no, I, I live, love it. I love it. I love a dissenting point of view. I live in an urban view area i don't right. live on the property you know an oh, hour okay. away you know my sister-in-law used to clock up two and a half thousand kilometers a week wow taking kids to music and gymnastics and dancing and everything else that they oh did. my god yes. she's really good so. for doing it i would have just said to the kids go out and play in the dirt i think <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what our parents did. yeah two thousand kilometers a week seems very extreme yeah, yeah. Um, okay, now are there – is there – this? I ask this of everyone and there may not be, but is there a quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you'd be up for sharing? Um, <laughs> I love putting people on the spot. A journalist yeah, suggested right. I ask this well, one. Well, you I've know, heard- what most people don't know is that I did that whole living – Overseas thing. Yes, Swaziland, Solomon Islands and England. I love it that you called England a third world country. <laughs> Especially <laughs> that now. feeling sometimes. Especially yeah. now. Yeah, that's probably yeah. what most people don't know about me. Yeah, fascinating. Let's not talk about uh, it. Okay. Well, I know. Well, I actually, I don't think a lot of people talk about their past life anyway. So I'm just fascinated when I do these interviews and people go, I've never really mentioned that to anyone before. Um, (laughs) What was I going to say to you now? So do you use your phone for business at all? Are you an app person or not? I ask this question purely for selfish reasons because I love my phone myself. Yes. Uh, Okay. Do you have any apps for business that you love outside of banking? I don't want to hear banking and social because I'll take that as a given. My favourite that I found not so long ago, it's called – it's a library app. Oh, so see my bookcase behind me there? Yes. That's just that's just part of it. Um you literally take this app and you scan the barcode on the back of the book. Oh and so you so what hang on a minute. So where do you get the book from though? You go to a library and then you use the app. I, no, to no, no, it. this is this is my collection. Right. This is controlling, you know, our own collection of books. Oh my goodness. So we've collected and, you know, because we're both bookaholics. Um, I'm with and, you. I think I've got about 3,000 books so far. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I don't want to throw them away because I want to have a library room with an open fire and, and uh, a couple yes, of armchairs yes. in it one day. That's my <laughs> idea of heaven. <laughs> but do you know what books you've got? No, and I know that I give out all the good ones because you kind of are recommending it to someone, go, oh, this is a great one, and you never know who you've sent it to and it's gone. 
Yeah, well, I bought the this, same book. This some doesn't of them solve the, the lending out bit, but I actually, I sometime last year, I actually went went through all of my books once I found this little app, yeah. and now I have a complete library catalogue. Oh my goodness! We're well, going to have to remember what the app is at least by the time this comes out, so that we can put it somewhere and let people know because yes. it sounds great. <laughs> it's called Li- Libid, I think. Libid. Libid. Library ID, something like that. That's really clever. Oh, it's great. And if you don't, like, I've got some old books, you know, some antique books and even some books that were self-published by people that don't, they can't scan them with the barcode, so you just put them in manually. Right. Well, I'm just looking here. Oh, they just, I hadn't even thought about that. So that's fantastic. What about another one? Have you got another one you can share? I'll take as many as you want to tell me about. <laughs> I love hearing about new apps. Um, well, this isn't a phone app. I was thinking tell about the, the, tra- anyway. the training what I, The training one I found. It's called YZ, W-Y-Z-E-D. Y-Z. It's an Australian oh. product. Yeah. Um, and it's you're building training courses, so it's an online training platform. Oh. But so simple. Oh, wow. What oh, do I want to put here? Too. Video. Stick video in here. <laughs> what, oh, what my I God, do? it put sounds brilliant. Here. So good. And it handles the enrolment. Um, I mean, I'm, I know there's more fancy. So W-H-Y-Z, was it? No, W-Y. Y-Z-E. No, just WYZED. Yep, love it. All right, I'm going to go and have to look at that one as well. And what about for fun? Do you play on your phone? Do you have games? No. (laughs) No words with friends? Oh, my goodness, I absolutely love work. No, no, I reckon of all the women that I've interviewed, and I think I'm up to about 90 in the podcast now, four or five of them have told me that they play on their phones. It's just I am on level 3,000 and something of Candy Crush and I play words with friends every day. (laughs) I just always ask people. I think I'm just trying to find that I'm not the only one, but I think the truth is I probably am one of the very few. You're just trying to assuage your own guilt, aren't you? That's exactly right, yes. Well, Bronwyn, listen, thank you. Thank you so much for this great interview. If anyone would like to get hold of your book or speak to you or get hold of you for help, what is the best way for them to do that? The best way is just through the website, bronwynreed.com.au. Okay, fantastic. And you do, you're on LinkedIn a bit as well, aren't you? Because that's where I I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I do three original posts a week on LinkedIn. Right. Uh, the, the other days I repost material from um, from from previous posts so that people oh, well get a done. second chance to read my that stuff. That sounds bit highly strategic. I just get on and blather about whatever I feel like <laughs> at the time. Uh, but I have got someone who's going to try and whip me in shape with my social media and actually put some strategy together, which will be great. Well, um, thank you so much. It's just been a brilliant interview. I loved hearing your story. Um, and I look forward to seeing you a lot more in the media and a lot more out there yeah. with what you're doing for businesses. So thank you. The new book, the new book, launch campaign cranks up this week so uh, book launch is on the 23rd of March great so yeah I would say by the time this comes out the book will be out so we will uh, tell everyone to go and buy it. What's it going to be called again? Just it's to called remind Small everyone. Small Company, Big Crisis. Big Crisis. And the other one is 
small company, big business, big isn't business. it? Serendipity. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Jules. Lovely talking to you. My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'sTheBoss.com.au.